nothing brings me more greater joy than to talk about leadership. And today, that's what this topic is all about. It's about leadership. Um, again, my name is Paul Lawrence Van. I'm the host of the Paul Lawrence Van Experience Podcast. And the reason why leadership is important to me and I hope that it is to you, it's because it can make a tremendous difference in our personal life as well as our business life. Now, mind you, um, I played on a football team when I was in high school, and I was on a track team as well. So I had leaders all along the way. But the true leaders that I learned from early on was my mother, my father, my grandparents, my aunts and uncles, and they all provided their own unique form of leadership with you all that are listening can identify with. And uh, that's the type of leadership fundamentally whereby you start out learning how to take care of yourself. And this and so many other things is what I'm going to cover throughout this particular episode. So I'm glad and happy, if you want to be honest with you, that I'm talking about this wonderful topic of leadership. So if you're ready, I'm ready. Put your seatbelts on because this might be a really fast ride. And in case you get tossed and turned, I want you to be able to hang in there until the very end. So again, Paul Lawrence Van, motivational speaker, international best-selling author, diversity and inclusion trainer, mindfulness life coach, and much, much more. Uh, you can learn more about me at www.paulvanspeaks.com. And you can also send me an email if you have any questions at info, I-N-F-O, dot Paul, P-A-U-L, Van, V as in Victor, A-N-N, speaks, S-P-E-A-K-S, dot C-O-M, dot com. So let's get started on this wonderful topic that's centered around leadership. I started out with a story talking about what it was like for me to grow up and understanding what leadership is and what it was at that time. But I had uh, parents who both worked. They were both factory workers, in fact, but they led from the front. And I'm not talking about just any type of of, of factory workers, but my uh, mother, she worked at a factory, a tobacco factory, specifically for 28 years. Now, to me, that's a leader. And it also shows dedication. And also with my father, he worked for the same tobacco company for 27 years. So we have a total of 55 years of our parents. And there were five sisters and four brothers. There were 10 of us that we saw leadership get up every morning and and go to work. And leadership turn from work every day for that length of time. Now, some of it was before we were of the age where we understood that they were working, but 55 years of experience. And in addition to that, my parents owned a community grocery store. So again, leadership. And it was a community grocery store in that they wanted to be able to provide food for members of the community who could come in and they didn't have transportation to go to one of the larger supermarkets at that time of which there really weren't that many and uh, they went and uh, started this store 
And at the tender age of 10, I was volunteered to work in this family store. So leadership started for me very early as well. And I'm thankful for it because it really paid dividends years later. So again, that's not the end of the story as far as my foundational leadership goes. Well, my father was also a shop steward, which meant he was also working with other employees at the factory to help make working conditions better. And ultimately, he became union president, and he did so for, it had to be over 25 years. And so again, a display of leadership. And uh, with all of this leadership around, that's not the end of the story. Uh, my father, he was also uh, worked at the church and uh, he was also a member of the church working. So again, more leadership. And my mother, she, she really pushed us to attend church every Sunday and do well in school and have respect for ourselves and then self-respect and then respect for our elders as well. So <clears throat> there was a lot of leadership going down in the Van household. And uh, I'm thankful for it. And uh, one of the main things that, that my parents and grandparents and extended relatives wanted for my siblings and I were to get a really good education so we can have a better life. And uh, that's exactly what I ended up doing. Uh, I decided that I was going to find my way out of poverty and poverty as which we were in financially. And, and that was to... Uh, do well in school and I knew that that was my path because my grandparents kept telling me hey you got to do good in school my uncles my aunts parents and it wasn't something they were just saying to, to to sound good they really meant it because they knew that would be the future and so even though I was not the first child born I was the first to make it to high school and uh, once I made it to high school, I played football. So again, I had a leader in front of me, a coach, assistant coaches, and then teammates. And so there was another layer of leadership on top of that. In addition to all the teachers I had from kindergarten on up through the 12th grade. So that's another form of leadership. If you're not careful, you're going to find out that most of the time you had a leader, even though you didn't call it that. But I'm sharing this with you for a greater story because we all are leaders because we have to lead our lives. I know that sounds simplistic, but it is a reality. And how the status of your life goes depends on how great of a leader you are. If you can lead yourself, the likelihood is that you can lead other people as well. Well, as I stated, I went on to, to high school and I played football for two years and uh, had a great leader in my coach. Then I ran track because I wanted to go to college and uh, play college football. And then I got out there and I started running track. I found out that I enjoyed track more than I enjoyed football. And so I decided, well, once I go to college, then I'll get on a track team. And I did. I, I ran the 400 meters and the mile relay. <clears throat> so again, more coaches, more leadership. And I uh, ended up looking for ways to make uh, some money so that I can enjoy my college life. I had already uh, received grants to attend, attend uh, college. And uh, so I ended up going and applying at UPS. 
to work part time just to make extra money, maybe 20, 25 hours a week. And uh, again, more leadership, uh, supervisor, uh, manager, the plant manager for UPS there in the Raleigh uh, area, Raleigh, North Carolina area. And so there was more leadership. And then UPS was really hot in the summer because North Carolina gets really hot and humid. So I decided, well, you know, this uh, basic training uh, takes place at uh, North Carolina, through North Carolina State University. And even though I was crossing, I was crossing roll at Shaw University, it was just a few miles away. So I decided, well, I'll go to them. I'll t- put in consideration for ROTC. And uh, then I have to go to basic training. So I went six weeks in Dover, Delaware uh, for basic training, officer training. And I got there. And of course, the commandant and, and for the encampment, well, there's another layer of leadership. So you see, all through life, it was leadership. I haven't even mentioned all of my college professors who were leaders. And I went to basic training. And I enjoyed it. Uh, I had no plans of joining the Air Force ever <laughs> because I had watched Walter Cronkite report every night about the casualties in Vietnam. And I just decided, well, I'll go to basic training. I'll be paid the same if I was at UPS and I'll still have my job. Sounds like a, a, a winner. And that's exactly what I did. And when I came back from the basic training, which I successfully uh, went through, uh, I um, one of my friends, he raised his hand to join the two-year ROTC program. And since my, my buddy did it, I decided to do it as well. <laughs> and lo and behold, I was in the two-year ROTC program. They offered me a scholarship, but I turned it down because then I, I didn't want to be fully committed to uh, having to serve in the military if, if I did not, um, uh, when that decision point came with commissioning. And so I went through the program for two years and then they, my, uh, leading up to my senior year, I went to this ROTC third lieutenant program, and it was out at Chinute Air Force Base in Illinois. So I went out there for three weeks. Again, I still had my job when I came back, but I was getting closer and closer to that decision point when I graduated, whether I would be sworn in as a second lieutenant into the United States Air Force. And so I was asked to be the detachment commander at, um, North Carolina State University for the uh, for the cadets, but I turned it down because I had the part-time job and I had academics that I was dealing with. I needed to graduate on time because it's a life lifetime goal. And the uh, commandant of the ROTC program, uh, he had recommended that I become the commander of the detachment, and I, I turned it down as I stated. And uh, I went on through my second year of ROTC with no problems, and uh, then came time for graduation. Well, I had earned all the hours that I needed to graduate from college, and now the decision was left up to me. Do I or don't I accept the commission as a second lieutenant into the United States Air Force, or do I just go on with my professional career? And I was a business major and accounting a minor with up to 40 hours of accounting that I could actually sit for the CPA. And um, I made the decision that I would be commissioned a second lieutenant. And at my university, Shaw University, I was the only student in Air Force ROTC that year. And uh, when I went up for graduation, 
I received my diploma first and then later on I put on my uniform and I came back in and I was commissioned a second lieutenant to the United States Air Force. And I said all of that to say this, that no matter what juncture we are in life, leadership is being applied. And uh, I want you all to know that it's not just me who is going through that leadership stages and extra layers been added on, but also from the pastor at the church that I attended, my family church. That was another layer of leadership. Uh, I also had a layer of leadership from the United States Air Force when I received my first set of orders, which was going to take me to Los Angeles Air Force Station in California. And then a month later, come to find out that those orders had been revoked and I would be attending Wright-Patterson assignment at Wright-Patterson for four years. And I didn't really want to go to Ohio. I wanted to go to California. But as fortunate as that was, that was the best thing that could have happened to me because all of my uh, progression schools were there. I was uh, working in the acquisition area as a financial specialist, working in procurement of contracts, and uh, it worked out to be wonderful. My very first uh, leader uh, Air Force leader. He was a full colonel, and uh, his name was Titus Hall, who ultimately went on to earn three stars in the United States Air Force. And to top that off, he was an African American uh, male, which was really uh, unusual for that time. There was a General Randolph at uh, at Andrews Air Force Base, which was Acquisition Systems Headquarters, and he was a four star. So I was working with people who were trailblazing leaders and, and knew how to let, lead people. And so I became a part of that. So again, another layer of leadership for me as a second lieutenant, then first lieutenant, and then ultimately a captain. And I went to a program called, after I was promoted uh, in the fourth year at Wright-Patterson, I went on to a program called Education with Industry, and I worked there for about a year in Atlanta with a company called National Data Corporation, and I had supervisors there, and that was another military person there, a lieutenant colonel, and so he and I partnered and worked on a program as well, and again, there was more leadership, so we really don't get away from it, which is good which is good. And uh, after that assignment, I was uh, stationed at and assigned to Scott Air Force Base in Illinois. And I went there and I was a cost analyst and I led a team of 12 consultants and we would go out to the contractor's facility and evaluate their, their see if they could have proper staffing for the contract. We had a three, $3.2 billion contract. That would, were they able to operate within the budget? Did they have enough staff? Could they provide the data that we need? And most importantly, could they do this under the budget uh, to save the taxpayers money? So I was in a leadership role. And at that time, I was probably 25 years old. So I was leading a group of 12 people and I was talking to the president and vice president of a major defense contractor. So all of those years building up from the time I worked in my parents' a family community grocery store until the time I had my third assignment, I was in a leadership role uh, with leading teams of people to make decisions on whether or not the contract should be approved or not. Well, with the cost analyst I had who was expert and the consultants, we decided that they would not be able to, to uh, pr process that contract within budget and on schedule. 
And so I took this news back to the two-star general who I reported to. And I let him know. And the decision was made to not go forward with the contract. We saved the taxpayers $3.2 billion. And it was a good day. And about that time, I decided to uh, leave the United States Air Force because I was recruited by a mobile oil company. Uh, not only them, but there were a couple of two or three companies that were recruiting me. And I had made it to the eight year point and I wanted to know what it was like to work in the corporate area since that's what my my uh, academic background was. And it was a way for me to help my parents who still nine children at home um, and with only one older than me. and the rest of my siblings younger. And so I uh, left. I was going to go realize my corporate dreams. I worked for mobile oil for two years and then, and it was a great assignment. So again, I had another layer of supervision in addition to what I had at Scott Air Force Base. And to make a long story short, one day I'm sitting there going over the monthly income report and I received this call from this colonel from the Pentagon. And he says to me, uh, we would like to bring you back on active duty. You have cost analysts uh, expertise and we see that you're applying for a reserve role. Why not come back on active duty? So I asked him at the time, I didn't know it. I said, well, where will I be assigned? He said, the Pentagon. And at that time, both my mother and father were having some uh, physical problems, chronic problems with uh, diabetes and high blood pressure and whatnot. And my dad with Parkinson's. And so I decided, well, you know, that would be a pretty nice uh, location. It wouldn't be as far as traveling from Texas back to North Carolina where my parents were. And so I took the assignment and I came back on active duty. I left Mobile Oil Company and uh, that would, it gave me again another great experience working in the corporate and on the corporate staff. And I ended up getting assigned with the National Guard Bureau and working as a cost analyst for some programs that they had. And so I had the overall leadership was a two-star general, but most of the people I reported to were colonels in the Pentagon. And I ended up being assigned to the Pentagon for 12 consecutive years. And also one year on Capitol Hill as a member of the Capitol Hill Fellowship Program. So I had general officers, colonels. I had a member of Congress that I worked for. So again, another layer of leadership. And I, I, I just look back on my career and all along, it was all about leadership. And I ultimately retired from the Pentagon after a total of really 22 years and then I became a contractor. So I worked for a contractor for about two years. And I worked with um, family readiness. So I worked with families whose loved one had departed to Afghanistan and Iraq. And so I had another leader, this time a civilian. And at that point, after two years, I decided I wanted to go it alone. I wanted to start my speaking business, of which I did. So my professional development business began with me speaking. Then I wrote a book. And then I started taking uh, courses. I went through the Society of Human Resource Management Diversity and Inclusion program. And I was trained in a lot of different areas, coaching, life coaching, as well as uh, spiritual consciousness coaching and ultimately business success coaching. So uh, all along, it was having these leaders, leaders who taught me as coaches, uh, leaders who taught me as speakers, uh, leaders who taught me uh, in terms of publish writing and publishing books. So all of this was coming coming together for me and, and what it 
primarily says to me is that I've had leaders all along the way. And that doesn't even include the 11 years I was with uh, one minister uh, here in the Maryland area, uh, Dr. Uh, John Cherry. And uh, he was a great, phenomenal leader. And uh, he led a church with a total congregation, including people from outside satellite churches of about 35,000 people. And it was a tremendous experience. And we had um, Bible study together, the, the members of the church, the men's fellowship. And I, I was a volunteer on the helps committee where I helped out with different uh, events. So again, another la layer of leadership. And I said all of that to say this, and I, I lead my own professional development company today, is that we never get away from leadership. And we're not even talking about the leadership that we receive from our creator, from God. And uh, when we uh, add up the totality of my life, it's always led back to some form of leadership or another. And now uh, that I'm a father, I have two children that I lead and uh, just helping them to come along. But uh, one, one thing that I do know uh, when it comes to leadership is that uh, leadership and management are totally different. Uh, leadership is when you can influence people to do things and sometimes things they don't, really don't want to do. But that's what a leader's job is. And a leader's job also is to develop leaders along the way. So in other words, if you're a smart leader, you bring on people that are more intelligent than you are in some functional areas. And I think that's a good thing. And you develop these leaders, these managers to become ultimately a leader, CEO. Uh, you develop employees to become a part of the corporate staff. And so uh, when it comes to managers, managers are the people who, who get help get and supervise the employees. And their aspect is not so much influenced as it is the supervision of and making sure things get done. And then they report up to the leader. CEO or president or chief fund officer, whatever his name may be, his or her name may be. And by the way, I've had uh, just a lot of women leaders that have led me over the years, uh, whether it's uh, four colonels or generals, uh, people in the corporate realm. And um, I have as much respect for them as I do the male leaders uh, because it's not easy for them. And I had five sisters, so I know better. And uh, so uh, when it comes to leadership, uh, it's all about influencing other people, the person at the top. Then when it comes to management, it's all about them supervising the employees and helping them to progress through the corporate or through the uh, company structure, whether it's to obtain training or it's to build them to become a manager themselves. And so uh, leadership uh, plays a great role in that. And so uh, that's one of the things that I really want to talk about today. And I, I'm sure that if you look back in your background, you'll find the, the same thing. I also want to pass on that leaders are not born. Some people may make statements for a quarterback on a professional team, a college team, and say they have born leader. Uh, they are not born leaders. <laughs> they are developed over the years. And when a coach sees that, a quarterback, for example, or a defensive player, linebacker for that matter, shows just strong willingness to learn as much as they can. That's when they start calling them leaders. But uh, and uh, so it's not that aspect of anybody was born a leader. People can be developed over time, though.
and, and, and that happens quite a bit. And so when we look at the titans of industry, these people have been groomed for years and years and years. It's just like someone saying uh, they are overnight success, the media might report. What an overnight success may have taken 10 to 15 to 20 years sometimes. So they are uh, uh, no born winners. There are no born leaders. <laughs> so success doesn't come overnight. It, it comes over the course, at least for, for the average person it comes over years and years of trying and failing trying and failing trying and failing and so it's something uh, to keep in mind that as you're going up that leadership chain that it has come with so many years of trial and error trial and error and as i always say failure is not final failure just means you dust yourself off and you keep going forward until you uh go after that mark, that, that keeping your eyes on the prize. And so uh, that's part of, of what I wanted to share today. And there's just a little bit more. And uh, what I want to talk about is the fact that uh, when it comes to a leader, leaders normally uh, have to have a vision for what they want to see happen. And you can have, let's say, four leaders over a course of 10 years and I guarantee you all of them have a different vision, all of them have a dif different mis mission statement, and they all influence people uh, differently. And those leaders who do not influence people who work for them will not be successful. It's just plain and simple. And um, it's very important to just understand that it comes with a lot of effort, training. And I'll give you another example of uh, leadership. Uh, when I was in the Air Force and I was a first lieutenant coming up for captain, I went to this program called the Squadron Officer School. And I, yeah, I was a captain at that time. And so they put me in the very, Air Force put me in the very first leadership development program that they had. And then I had Air Command and Staff College, which was the mid-level leadership program. So I was a major at that time coming up for a lieutenant colonel. And so again, I attended another uh, leadership program. So I was being developed. And then ultimately, uh, after I had X number of years, I had Air War College. So I went through Air War College as well. So all along, the leadership uh, of Paul Van was being developed. And as I stated before, it's not that I became a great leader uh, after I joined the military. I was developed uh, as a young 10-year-old with my parents working in their store. That's where my leadership started. That was the foundation. And in many ways, it's the foundation I rely on today. And one of the great uh, characteristics of what I learned as a 10-year-old uh, managing my parents' uh, grocery community grocery store was I learned how to work with people. That was the one most important attribute that I learned as a uh, preteen. I learned how to work with people, how to communicate with people. You know, I learned that sometimes people will say things that it doesn't really make sense or they shouldn't be saying, and you just kind of absorb it and you move on. Always, always move forward. Don't get caught in the quicksands of life. Don't trip over the hurdles of life and to just keep going forward. Yes, I had failures in life. You've had them. But again, they were not final. They were learning skills. They were coping skills. And I learned from them. And I, as they say, uh, keep on 
ticking like the clock keeps on clicking. <laughs> so uh, that's really my particular uh, uh, synopsis of what leadership is about. And, and it's even true to this day. So you want to develop the leader that that's within you and everyone is a leader and some people just don't see it that way if it's not entitled but if you are living a life even if your life is miserable you that's the life you're leading and and so uh, when it all comes uh, to a head uh, we're all leaders and uh, I work every day to become a better leader than I was the previous day and uh, it's realistic that that can happen and uh, so this is what I want to talk about. I know it's a little bit different perhaps than what you, you uh, expected, but it's my journey. And I'm saying this to you because I want you to think about what your journey of leadership has been about and what it continues to be about today. I see myself continuing to be a leader and be a better leader because I'm more seasoned now or what they would call more mature. <laughs> and that's the sign for, oh, you're an old dude. And, uh, but I may be an old dude, but I, I know a lot. I've seen a lot. I've experienced a lot. And I've, I've uh, failed a lot. But my failures were not final. And I dusted myself off. I got up and I gave it another shot. As they say, if you get knocked down uh, seven times, you get up eight times. That's my story. I'm, I'm sticking to it. Again, my name is Paul Lawrence Van. I lead a professional development company, Wealth Building Academy, LLC. Uh, email me if you have questions at info at paulvanspeaks.com or visit my website, www.paulvanspeaks.com. Or if you want to talk to me, just dial toll-free 800-341-6719. My time is up and I thank you for yours. And today's topic was all about leadership and I shared my personal experiences. I'll see you on the next episode of the Paul Lawrence Van Experience Podcast. Have a great day.